<laughs> uh, little known fact, I uh, was in the sixth grade talent show uh, for juggling. I juggled to Men in Black. I did awesome. If there was a prize given out, I would have won it for sure. I felt entitled to it. I am technically a millennial. So that's that. Hey, welcome uh, to the Gathering Church this morning. I'm, I'm really glad that you're with us this morning. Like, like Pastor John Mark said, my name is Robbie Denson, and I've had the privilege over the last two and a half years, and really we've been working on this thing for years before that, to serve you as the executive pastor of the Gathering Church, and, and I love it. I absolutely love it. This is the joy of my life. Uh, we're in a series right now called Summer at the Gathering, and we've seen a lot of fruit come out of this series. We've seen uh, some things that have really blessed us in this season. And a couple of weeks ago, one of my pastors, Pastor Rodney Richard down in Northwood Church, where I worked before, he was one of my bosses, uh, he showed up in Asheville and we went to lunch and he said, Robbie, what is one of your favorite things about being a pastor at the Gathering Church? And that's, that's easy. That, that is simple. I absolutely love seeing and hearing stories of people who are looking to grow in their spiritual journey. I absolutely love it. You've got to know, uh, let me preface this, we're not a perfect church, and, and, and one of my jobs is to create systems to do things better, and there, there's holes and there's gaps, but we are striving to do things better all the time, and I say that because we have a plan for you at the Gathering Church, and that is we want you to know God, we want you to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference, and I just got to let you know, church, it is happening we are seeing victory. A few weeks ago, we baptized six people into the family of God. And that, that's, we, can, we can get excited about that. You got to know people are, people are walking through our doors. And because of what you're doing here, people are beginning to know God. I'm talking with people. And, and I, Pastor John Mark and I, and even Robert, uh, and, and, and a lot of our leaders are talking to people who are going through difficult seasons of life. And I'm so encouraged because while the difficulty is present, the drive to find freedom is also, and I absolutely love that. I love pushing people to life groups because we believe that's where you find freedom, and that's why you should sign up to be a life group leader so that you can be a conduit to help people find freedom, and so go sign up to lead a life group. Discovering your purpose. I plugged that pretty well. That was pretty flawless until I just brought it back up. Uh, <laughs> But listen, I, I, finding freedom, I was talking to somebody this morning who, I said, hey man, you're, you're, the creative team is working on the new identity series, and I'm getting excited watching y'all on social media uh, prepare for this series. I think God's going to do something amazing. And he looked at me and he said, Robbie, look at the goosebumps on my arm. He said, I have found so much value getting ready for this series. God is going to do something incredible through this series. I got to tell you, people are finding freedom. And, and, and they're making a difference, and they're discovering their purpose. And I, I guess I say all that to say uh, I consider it an honor to invest so much of myself into this church, and I truly believe that the best is yet to come. I, uh, I, this morning, I'm excited. Uh, I want to talk about overcoming fear. Fear is a universal point of discussion. Whether you're in the church or in the coffee shop, there's a discussion to be had around this idea of fear. Uh, psychologists study fear. Scientists study fear. The Bible speaks to fear. And so it's a universal topic of discussion. And, and in fact, the Bible actually mentions fear 365 times. Uh, there are 365 verses. So the Bible even covers our leap year with fear. And so this is something that we've got to discuss. 
One of the verses that is powerful that we can kind of use as a catalyst for this morning is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And, and what we have here is Joshua preparing to lead the entire nation of Israel into the land that God promised in, into the land of Canaan. And God meets with Joshua before this is to occur. They've spent 40 years in the desert under the leadership of Moses. That's been handed off to Joshua. Listen to what God speaks to Joshua. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God presents himself to Joshua because he knows that this is a big moment, not just for Joshua, but for the entire nation of Israel. And God comes to Joshua in a moment of fear and trepidation to speak to the fear. He says, Joshua, I, I'm God. Hey, here I am speaking to you. So this means something. Do not be terrified. I am with you. Have I not commanded you to do this? And so the question is, how many of us can relate to the fear that Joshua is experiencing. And let's, let's make this a relative conversation. Joshua is about to, to lead hundreds of thousands of people into the promised land. Let me just say this. I, God has put me in the position of leadership uh, of my family, which is a total of five people. And that terrifies me sometimes, right? And so I think there's a point to relate to what Joshua is going through here. You know, I can recall so many seasons in my life, when fear has crept into my heart, I think back to the season before moving to Asheville. And I can remember on one occasion, uh, my wife and I, we sold our house about a year before we moved to Asheville so that we could financially prepare to be here. And so we sold our house and my parents were great enough to let us move in to their house with my two kids that were like two years old. I don't know. Time is fleeting and I don't if it's in the past, I can't, I can't recall it too well. They were like little babies. They were still in diapers. And so they're screaming at night. And my parents were amazing to let us move in with them for a year. And I remember one night, I woke up in a full-blown panic, just completely overwhelmed. And I, I remember I walked out of the room that my wife and I stayed in. And I walked into my parents' computer room. And I, I was like sweating. I just, I just kept thinking to myself, what have I done? Why did I say yes to this thing that is so crazy? And, and, and you know, uh, when John Mark presented this to, to Chelsea and I, he made it clear that, like, you know, the only, if, the only businesses that, uh, that start and close more than church plants is restaurants and bars. And, and I just was like, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Let's do that thing. And that night, I just was like, why, why did I just say no to a job that pays me well and has a plan for me. And yes, to one where I have to raise my salary for three years. What is happening? And fear got a hold of me that night. And what it told me was, and, and listen, this, I mean this, it said, Robbie, fear called me by my name that night. I mean, it, just, it got a hold of me. And it said, Robbie, you got to know that if this doesn't go well, you're not going to be the only one that suffers. Your family's going to suffer. What are you doing? You see, fear is a powerful force that, if we allow it, can control our lives. And, I, and, and the question I have is, how has fear worked its way into your life? I'm going to kind of do a deep dive into fear. And in order to do that, I've got to do a deep dive into some sensitive 
points of discussion. And so uh, stay engaged this morning. If I say something that, that, that sets off an emotion in you, just dig a little bit deeper into that emotion, into what we're talking about this morning, and see if there's freedom for you in what God has to speak. One of the ways that fear works its way into our life is in our marriage. Has your marriage gotten to a place of discomfort and you're not sure what the, stu- what the future has in store for you? Maybe for you, the fear comes in when you know that you've made a mistake and you're fearful of all the work it's going to take to bring your marriage back to a place of health. You're fearful that maybe you can't be the person that your spouse needs you to be. And fear's got a hold of you. Maybe it's work. Maybe you are in a job and in a season, in a circumstance at work, and it's not bringing value to you. Or maybe it's not paying the bills like you thought it would, and fear has you. Our health is something that can cause a great amount of fear to come into our lives. Children can bring a level of fear into our lives that we just weren't ready for. It's easy to allow the fear of who they'll become. I'm noticing that as my kids get older, I'm realizing that I I don't just have to like help them get dressed in the morning. I've got to help them become men of God. And there's some fear in that. And sometimes, sometimes it's just the fear of the unknown that grips us. Just the unknown. For some of us, we would rather stay in the toxic than to step in the unknown. Right? Right? to stay in that toxic situation, that toxic season, because somehow we have found enough comfort to get to the end of our day, and at that point we fall apart, but I'd rather stay in the toxic than step into the unknown, to to stay at a job we hate because we're afraid of the unknown, or to stay in a relationship that is unhealthy because at least it's a relationship, because we're afraid of the unknown if we remove ourselves from it. Or maybe it's to stay in bitterness, in anger, because we're afraid of what will happen if we put it down. We're afraid of the work it may take. We're afraid of what we may discover about ourselves. If I drop the bitterness, then what am I holding on to? The reason that the Bible speaks to fear as often as it does is because fear is a foothold that the enemy uses to get a point of leverage in our lives so it can shift and direct us and guide us. The enemy uses fear as a tool And so this morning, I want to look at Gideon's life in in Judges chapter 6 to speak to the power of fear. And then I want to look at what it takes to overcome fear. Gideon is an Israelite who at the time uh, is in a season of oppression from the Midianites. The Midianites were attacking Israel. They were stealing their crops. They were robbing them of their livestock. They were just in a position of power over Israel. And all of this is happening because Israel's disobedience, Judges is a a great book to go and to study and to see God's faithfulness. And this is a season of God's faithfulness returning to Israel. God sends an angel to communicate to Gideon on his behalf. And I want you to look at what it says, and we're going to springboard from this. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And so I don't, I don't, I've never made bread from scratch in my life, but I, I, I know what Google 
teaches me about it. And what I've learned is that when you're, when you're threshing wheat, the goal is to get rid of the chafe. And so you're threshing the wheat, and what you need is wind around you. Oftentimes, they would go to, to a mountaintop or to the top of the hill where the wind is more active, and they would thresh the wheat to get rid of the chafe so they would have pure grain to make the bread. And here, God approaches Gideon inside of a wine press down in a wine press where there is no wind, and he's threshing the wheat so that he can produce grain, but his grain won't be pure because there's going to be chafe in it. Therefore, his bread is going to be nasty, right? But God approaches him there, and, 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 and he's afraid. The reason that Gideon, can you imagine being so afraid and in a state of just, I'm not really proud of myself, and then God shows up, and you're like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> so that paints a scene for you. I want to look at the rest of this conversation that, that the angel of the Lord has with Gideon. And I want to pull out Gideon's responses to what God is telling him. And what we're going to be looking at is what I would call secondary emotions. And so what we've got to understand is, is maybe you're sitting there right now thinking, I don't think I deal with fear, but I'm about to list three things that maybe you do deal with. And so my point is this. If you were to dig deeper into an emotion, there's a root. And so fear is a root that creates secondary emotions. And so often the enemy keeps us wrapped up in these secondary emotions that we can't get to the root. And so we're talking about a root this morning, but we've got to flesh out the secondary emotions of fear. And so the first secondary emotion that I want to flesh out, that I want to talk about, that I want to call out this morning is anger. Anger is a secondary emotion to fear. Let's continue on in verses 12 and 13 of Judges chapter 6. It says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. In this conversation, Gideon is sitting down in that wine press, and God approaches him. And he calls Gideon by the name he could be, Mighty Warrior. And Gideon, I, I think this sets Gideon off by his response, because here he is in a moment of weakness, in a moment of fear, something that a man of bravery or a person of bravery would not be doing. And God says, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon doesn't know how to respond, and so he responds out of anger. Okay, well, if the Lord is so good, right, here you, you're calling me a mighty warrior, and if the Lord is so good, then why are we being oppressed? If the Lord is so good, then why is it that our forefathers got to brag about what they saw you do? If you're so good, then where are you at? If you're God, then make me a mighty warrior. Gideon could not see himself the way God did, and so when God spoke to who Gideon could be, it brought out anger. He lashed out towards God. You know, we do the same thing. We lash out towards God and others when fear grips our life. Fear of where your life is going can turn into anger. And oftentimes we express anger towards God and towards the one around us. You know, Gideon was alone in that wine press. He was alone. How had he treated the people around him because of his fear? 
when we're in a season of fear and it is being expressed through anger, what we do oftentimes is you stop giving people a position to speak into your life because of your anger. Let me ask you a question. Do you get angry when you are around people who have what you feel God wants for you? Let me tell you, that, that's dangerous. You're, if, if that's you, you're, you're in a danger. You got to hear it. You're in a dangerous place. And how you respond in this season is pivotal to your future. The decision that you make in this season will determine the next. If it's a decision based out of pride, they don't understand me, they don't get me, then you're going to remain in this season in the foothold that the enemy has in your life will grow deeper. He'll grip harder. But if you look at the people around you who have what maybe you want, if you take a position of humility and say, I'm going to come up underneath this, and I'm going to learn from it, then God can release the foothold, the point of leverage, the anger that the enemy has on your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Fear about your marriage can turn into anger towards your spouse. Fear of what someone thinks about you can lead to resentment, and just so you know, that's anger's first cousin. They play together. Anger is a secondary emotion that can, that can come when fear traps us from living the life God called us to live. And when you dig behind your anger, oftentimes you'll discover fear. Gideon was angry because he was afraid. The second thing is insecurity. Let's continue on. Judges chapter 6. I told you I was going to say some things that you may not like. 14 and 15 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Once again, God is speaking to who Gideon can be. He wants Gideon to be strong and to save Israel, and Gideon's fear leads him into insecurity, and he responds and says, God, not only is my family the least in Manasseh, but I'm the least in my family. I'm the runt of the group. And he moves from anger to insecurity. I read, a, I read a study this week that is devastating. It says that 62% of all women feel insecure or not sure of themselves. And I, I, I couldn't find a study that put a percentage on men, but I am one, so I can speak to this. We deal with the exact same thing. We're constantly asking ourselves, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? The fear of not measuring up to the standard we were told that we have to creates a fear in us. Being the kind of mother we see on social media creates a fear in us. Being in a stage or a season that we're not happy with can stir up a fear and an insecurity. And these fears, these fears lead to that insecurity and it gives the enemy that foothold he needs to shift us and direct us. The third thing is control. The enemy wants control when we're in a season of fear. Verses 16 and 8 through 18, it says, The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. I need a sign, he says. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. 
When we're dealing with fear, what we're oftentimes doing is putting a chokehold on the very things that we can't control because we need control. If we can't control life, we're going to control what we can. And sometimes when we're in a season of difficulty, we can allow the fear of something that happened to us in our past cause us, cause, allow the enemy to control our future. Maybe that, maybe that is a life group. Maybe you've been in a life group before and it didn't go like you thought it would or it didn't go like we said it would. And so you've written those off because you know what? I know that I'm hurting. They say this can help me, but I, I just need some control over this area of my life. I'm not ready to open up. I'm not ready to take the mask off. Or maybe you've led a group and it didn't go like you thought it would. And so you know what? Leading just isn't my thing and I'm going to take control of the potential that God has for my life, and I'm not going to step into the calling that he's given me. I'm going to take control and be comfortable where I'm at. Maybe you've sworn off relationships because of something that occurred in the past. You know, fear of the future can cause us to put a chokehold on our potential. God, I can't give you my all. I can't give you my life because I still need control of some things. That anger and insecurity And that control are the tools, we've said it several times, the tools that the enemy uses to hijack us. And I think the tension that we just read about in Judges chapter 6, that tension between God and Gideon is the same tension that you and I oftentimes live with and experience in a season and moments of fear. God meets with Gideon in that wine press. He went to where Gideon was, but he wasn't going to allow him to stay there. Some of us this morning are down in a wine press. Some of us are hiding out and we're angry and we're insecure and we're in need of control. And I just, I'm convinced that God is here this morning to meet you where you're at, but he doesn't want to leave you there this morning. I want to look at four thoughts to help us to overcome the fear in your life. We, we did a, a deep dive for just a few minutes into what fear does to us, but it's not enough. We have to understand how to overcome the fear. And so I want to give you some best practices when it comes to dealing with fear, and then I want to use scripture to back these things up. Here are four things that you can start doing. The first is this stand your ground. Stand your ground. In Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 13, it says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. I love what Moses is saying because it's really irrational. Because while he is speaking to the people of Israel, the the nation of Egypt is on approach to attack them and to bring them back into captivity. And Moses isn't asking the people to prepare for battle. He isn't asking the people to bring up arms. Moses says, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. There is something, and just listen to me. There is something about in a a season of fear, taking a moment to stand firm that says, God, I trust you. God, I, I can't win this battle on my own because if I had to fight it on my own, I wouldn't win it. 
Now, if Israel would have went to war, if Moses would have said, you know what? This might not have been a good idea. Prepare for battle. They would have lost that battle. But instead, they stood firm and allowed God to fight their battle. There's something about standing firm that releases the control that we struggle to let go of. Israel stood firm. They let God fight their battle. And he fought their battle in a way they couldn't fight their battle. He parted the Red Sea and they crossed over. God has a plan for your fear. You just got to release the control. The second thing is pray first. Pray first. This one is very close to my heart. This is something that uh, I forced God to break me in before I was willing to let go and just to start to pray first. <coughs> I remember my wife and I got married really young. I I, was, uh, I remember the moment that I knew that I was going to marry my wife, and it had nothing to do with, I already knew I loved her. I, I, I was an intern at, <coughs> at Northwood Church, <coughs> and I made like, like $13,000 a year, and I worked at a computer store, BBS Computers, uh, and uh, I knew nothing about computers. I managed the whole store. You figure that out. Uh, and they're still in business. I'm just saying. <laughs> they might be doing better now, but they are still in business. And I, and so, uh, my, my Rodney, my pastor Rodney, one of my best friends, he called me and he said, Robbie, the elders just met and, uh, and, and you know what, we're going to give you a raise. And I said, oh my gosh, I can quit my job. And then he told me how much it was. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. And I, I was sitting on the couch and <clears throat> my roommate, now brother-in-law was sitting on the other couch and I, I was talking to Rodney and he said, Rodney, Robbie, we're going to raise you to $18,500 a year. And I said, oh my gosh. Okay, Rodney, I got to go. Looked at, looked at Mike, and I said, Mike, I'm getting married. <laughs> this is enough. This is all I need. I've already, I've already ran the numbers. I'm getting married. So here I am, like 22 years old. I'm married, and we're just living life, and we're loving it, and we make like a couple dollars a year, and it's fine because I love ramen noodles, and I learned how to make spaghetti, and we were doing great. And then we had our first child, and uh, that was fun. Um, and then, and then uh, we start the adoption process, and we're just trying to just be obedient to God and just to walk into crazy, uh, and we've been doing that for nine years. And, uh, and so we got into this season where we had uh, two children. They're six months to the day apart, uh, and so we had two kids uh, under 10 months, and I'm looking at the bank account, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know right now how we're going to get groceries. <laughs> I think the electric bill will be fine. And it just started to put a strain on us. My wife is at home with two infants, and that's hard, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, I don't, wanna, like, I don't want the ladies to get mad at me. I was not the one doing it. She was. I get it. And it, but I just, I came home and I could feel the tension in her and she could feel the tension in me because here I am supposed to be able to provide for my family and I didn't know how I was going to do it and, and it was just getting real. I just got to tell you, man, we had bought a house and I didn't know how the mortgage was going to get paid and I... Man, I, I was afraid. And I, we sat one night in, in just a very serious conversation, a humbling conversation. I, I said, Chelsea, I think I have to ask for a raise. And just, just my personality is I don't want to ask, I want to earn. And I just, I, I was angry because I wanted them to see in me that I was worthy of more. And, and I just said, I got to go ask for a raise. And, and, and so we prayed about that and just praying for a way out of our situation. And, and one night God brought a verse to me and it wrecked me. It wrecked me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 24, it says, Rejoice always, 
Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. The spirit is doing something. Don't quench it. Do not treat prophecies with content, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God can, can, convicted me that night, and, and I was in a place of fear, and I felt insecure about not being able to provide, and I wanted to control how things were going to play out, but this passage shook me, and, and I walked into the room uh, where Chelsea was with Kai and Josiah, and I just looked at her, in, almost with tears in my eyes. I had, at that stage of my life, I didn't know how to cry. I cry a lot now, and I just looked at her, and she could see it, uh, and I said, babe, I don't, I don't think that we, I, I'm not going to ask for a raise. I think God's, I think God's doing something. And I just feel like if I ask for a raise, I'm quenching the spirit. And so, I want, Chelsea, we're going to stop praying for a way out. And we're going to start praying for God to show us something. I could have I walked in. My boss loves me. <laughs> he, he just really loved me. And I could have walked in. He just did. He did. <laughs> he did. He liked, he, we, we talk every week. He, he likes me a lot. And I could have said, Rodney, I, I, need, I need money. <laughs> and he would have said, well, let's figure this out. But that night, we stopped praying for a way out of our circumstances, and we just prayed for a joy in the middle of them. So that's something we got to start doing, praying first. The third is object to the lies. Object to the lies. I'm telling you, if you start implementing some of these best practices, they can change your life. I'm still correcting myself and returning to some of these things. The enemy wants to use fear to define you. He wants to use fear to keep you where you are in a season of depression, in a season of, of being in a rut, in a broken relationship, in a job that doesn't bring you value or purpose. Or, 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 he wants to keep you in a place of stagnancy, on a path to destruction. And the enemy lies to us and he uses fear to make us believe the lies. Paul speaks to how we can take our thoughts captive to the church of Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to begin to identify the lies that we are believing. And it's not enough to identify them. We have to replace them. We have to object to the lies I would, I would encourage you to spend some time, and when I meet with people, I oftentimes say, get a sheet of paper, and I want you to draw a line in the middle, and on the left side, you're going to write a lie that you believe about yourself, and then on the right side, you're going to write the truth, and find a verse to pair it with. One, a great example is, uh, this is a great one here in Asheville because there's so many business owners. I, I don't have what it takes to start my own business. That's the lie, but the truth is this, God gave me a dream to start a business because he believes in me and he will see it through it. Yes, there is some work to be done, but God has given me what it takes. A lie. I'm never going to find a spouse because I've made too many mistakes. I've been hurt too bad. And the truth is this, God has redeemed me of my past and I've learned from it. I have found freedom from it and I am worthy of a relationship. And in fact, someone, someone would be lucky to spend the rest of their life with moi. 
identify the lie and replace it with the truth. The fourth thing is this, and we're going to conclude with this. The fourth thing is that we've got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to trust God. You've got to know, family, if, you, if, if, if you're a follower of Christ, and I love this because we, we believe that if, if, at the gathering you can belong before you believe, but you also got to know there's some benefits to being in the family. <laughs> there just are. If, if you are in the family, if, if you are a follower of Christ, then you've got to know that you have a father who is fighting for you. He's going to war on your behalf. God sent Jesus to the cross to fight for you. And he's not going to stop now. Whatever season of life you're in, no matter how much fear has gotten a hold of you, God is on a path to protect you, to heal you, to give you a place of peace, to give you a future. And it may take some time, but we just got to stand firm and trust God. You have to make a choice to trust God. And, And maybe you have to choose it every single day. My parents are in recovery and I grew up hearing this just for today. <laughs> just for today. I, for today, I'm not going to walk into that addiction. I, I don't know about tomorrow. I'm not talking. Just for today. Sometimes we just have to choose for today to trust God. Listen to what the psalmist writes in chapter 56, verses 3 and 4. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. He's making a decision. I put it in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I talked just a few minutes ago about that season of my life where we had two kids under 10 months and about how finances were tight. And what Chelsea and I did in that season, I, didn't, I guess I didn't know it then, but we just trusted God. We just trusted God. I gave God the capacity to teach me something that I couldn't teach myself. I gave people the capacity in my life for God to use them to teach me something that I could not teach myself, that I couldn't find in anger, that I couldn't find in insecurity, that I couldn't find by controlling the circumstance. I had to let go of those things and know that he is working this out. I never asked for that raise. And over the next several months, we saw God move in a way we never thought was possible. One day, a woman from our church called my wife, and to this day, I don't know how she got her number. A lot of things about this story I should be worried about. Her name was Jennifer Edwards. And she called my wife and she said, hey, you know what? I've seen you and your husband. I know that he's on staff and he does something. He runs around on Sundays like I do here sometimes. And, And I see the kids and I just feel like I'm supposed to come over Uh, once a week for two hours and just watch your kids for you and love on them so you can go out and get coffee uh go take you can stay at your house and take a nap uh you you can uh you can go do groceries you can go to lunch with robbie i just feel like that's what i'm supposed to do and the only uh reference i found on her is that she was in the church database system and so she wasn't super sketchy but we said yes without without blinking an eye and we said can you come over immediately and you sure god said two hours because i feel like the three is better you know, looking back on it, it was irresponsible. But today, Chris and Jennifer are some of our closest friends. They have two boys older than ours, and we lean on them regularly for wisdom and advice. God has a plan for your fear. A few weeks later, I walked into my office, and while I was out for lunch, 
Uh, someone had stuck uh, in my office uh, uh, enough diapers for both of my boys for two months. And I called Chelsea and I said, babe, there's a lot of diapers in my office. And I sent her a picture and she just was crying because that was, they're expensive. <laughs> God has a plan for your fears. Shortly after that, I walked into one of the conference rooms at, at the church where we kept all of our boxes where we would get mail and things noted to us. And I, I go and I just like, I'm always looking, when I go to check the mail, I'm always thinking, is there a check from Jesus today? Uh, my parents said it. Uh, they, were, they were broke too growing up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, I, I, I look in my box and there's an envelope and it's just a regular envelope and it says Robbie Denson. And I, I look inside of it and there's five $100 bills. And I, uh, I look at it and then I look around because I'm about to steal this $500 that was, I think, given to me. And so I, I go to my office and I got what to me is just a, a million dollars in my pocket. And I, I said, Chelsea, you won't believe what happened. And th- at this point, she's weeping and I'm weeping. And the, we have windows in our office and there's no blinds for accountability. And I, so I was like hiding in the corner. And I was like, Chelsea, you won't believe this. Go get the groceries. You know, we got it. Get some steak. But go to Walmart. I gotta tell you, man, God has a plan for your fears. A few months after that, uh, Pastor Fred, the lead pastor of, of, of the church I was at before, uh, nobody knows his name, but he's one of the patriarchs of the church, one of the greatest men who's ever lived. Uh, he, he walked into my office and uh, he does this thing when he wants to talk with you and he goes up to your door frame and he scratches his back on it. And I'm like, what are you, you're being so weird. You're, you're, what's happening? Do you need me to scratch your back? And he, he sat down where people are, sit down in my office and he said, Robbie, I just want you to know that I just met with the elder board and, um, you know, we, the lot's going on in the church and we, I'm, I'm leaving soon and we got some new directions to go in and we need someone like you to help us make these decisions. And um, we all voted unanimously to make you the eighth member of our uh, elder board to help you lead this church of 2,000 people. And I was like, oh my gosh, he, he doesn't know me as well as he thinks he does. <laughs> I got him fooled. And then he said, but we also, we also know that your family's got a lot going on and we've seen you be obedient in this season and we want to give you a significant raise to help you with your family. And I just, I just sat there and I just, was so, I just felt so honored by the position, but I really needed that money. And, uh, and I just got to tell you, God has a plan for your fears. And looking back, I'm just convinced that because I chose to stand firm to pray first, to object to the lies and to trust God that my family was better after that season than we were before. You know, I don't know that I would have fought my battle the same way that God did. I wouldn't have the people in my life that God used to fight that battle if I would have went and fought it for myself. When Gideon was hiding in that wine press, God met with him and called him a mighty warrior. Gideon couldn't see it right away. But he allowed God to take him out of the pit and into his purpose. I believe that God is with us this morning. And for some of us, we need help out of that pit. That pit of fear that we find ourselves in. And and I just want to ask you and to compel you this morning to let God speak truth over you today. Would you start to see yourself the way God sees you? Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning that you are on your throne and at the same time 
you are with us this morning. God, you are on your throne and you're sending angels down into our pit. You're sending angels down into our bedrooms. You're you're sending angels down into that place at work we go when we're overwhelmed with anxiety. God, you're sending angels into our closets where we go for some peace during the day. God, you're sending angels into the depths of our darkness to call us by our name. This morning, we declare, yes, yes, I am who you say I am. I don't know how to get there yet, but I'm just going to release the control. I'm going to put these things into practice, and I'm going to allow you a position in my life to lead me. I'm going to open my eyes to the people in my life who can lead me. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to pray because my purpose is too important to miss it. We declare that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.